Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I guess our new Red Bull dispenser is working. Uh, oh, no, we're just pumping it through the vents. All right. Stand up with me, hold your Bibles up, your iPhone, your iPad, your I wish. <laughs> Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. I appreciate it. You could take a knee or lock arms if you want. I'm not offended. Um, <laughs> that many of you don't watch the NFL. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, so much controversy in the world that I just, I just sometimes have to make levity because, not because I don't believe that uh, there are certain things on every side, but the reality is if we'll just love each other, uh, all things will work out because love covers a multitude of sin in all of our lives. Yeah. and. So let's love people. Don't be mean to anybody, all right? <clears throat> I mean, really. I mean, you can not agree with what somebody does uh, or says, but you don't have to be disagreeable. <clears throat> you can just not agree. And so, love, love, love. Uh, we're doing this series called Overcoming Fear because the truth is every one of us in this place and those watching online, there's probably some type of fear that at least confronts us every day or every week, that, that we know about it, and, and we've not allowed it to necessarily control our lives, but it probably has influenced decisions uh, that, that we've made. And uh, the truth is, the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. So we know that love is the antidote or the, 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 the component necessary to overcome fear. The reality is we can go all the way back to the book of Exodus and probably even into Genesis, and we can see that fear caused people to do things that didn't need to be done. For instance, if you look at Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to talk about Moses and Moses' mother and, and kind of look into the life of Moses today and, and how uh, God began a revolution, and the title of today's message is A Courage Revolution, that would overcome or overshadow fear. And in that day, Pharaoh, in Exodus 1, told the midwives, because the Hebrew children were multiplying so rapidly, and, and they were so strong, and they were so blessed, that Pharaoh figured, the only way I can stop them from overtaking my kingdom is if we kill all of the male children. That way they cannot grow up to be men, and, and they will not be able to uh, take over my kingdom. So he told the midwives to kill all of the male babies that were being born uh, by these Hebrew mothers. And Moses' mother was pregnant. Of course, today when we think of Moses, we, we think of all of his exploits, his strengths, all of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt but the reality was, in that moment, we had no idea what Moses would be. Neither did his mother. But she knew this, that she trusted God, and she believed that God had a plan for her son. And so the midwives, the Bible says, feared God. And so what they were doing was that 
they were disobeying Pharaoh's order because of their fear of God. And they went to Pharaoh and, and he said, why are you not killing all the male children immediately out of the womb? And they said, because they're not like the Egyptian women. The Hebrew children or the Hebrew women deliver babies rapidly before we can get there. So anyway, we see Moses' mother knowing that her, her child was at risk. And she decided that somehow by the unction of God or the leading of God that she would put her son in a, a, a tar-covered basket and put him in the river and push him away. Now, think just for a moment what this takes. This is your child. This is your baby. But something inside her knew this is what she needed to do. This is, this is the beginning of a courage revolution where in that basket, little did she know that the future of her nationality and her nation rested upon her son in that basket. But she had to overcome the fear of him being drowned or the basket tipping over to put him in there. But in that moment, it changed everything, not just for the Jews and the Hebrews, but for all of us for all time. And there's sometimes we don't realize that one decision can change the future of our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, that our decisions are bigger than us, and they're bigger than that moment. Now, remember this. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the will to do what is right in the face of that fear. So it doesn't mean that we're not going to encounter fear and that we're not going to have to address it or deal with it, we're going to have to do that the rest of our lives. So turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, verse 22. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, we know the Bible tells us that Moses grew up in the home of the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's daughter. So he grew up knowing the Egyptian customs being a part of that family, and yet he was a Hebrew. Moses found himself in a very difficult place one day when an uh, Egyptian was beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses killed him. And in that moment, he knew that that was probably not going to be a good thing. He had to make a decision in that moment, and he fled. And the Bible says he went out into the wilderness, and he left in that moment. Now, I would say probably because of fear that that Moses' destiny for a moment, for a season, was put on hold because he was placed in Egypt for a reason. And let me say this to you. You can run, but you can never take an alternate route when God has already determined your route. You can try your best, and Moses tried. He thought, I'll just take an alternate route. I'll go away, and I'll just live the days of my life out doing what I can to take care of my family and provide for my family and I'll live my life just the best I can. Let me tell you something. The best that you can live your life is found in the purpose and will of God. 
And God will never let you go. He will never let us go. And he will always be drawing us to our place of purpose. Now, we look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. This was not the high call of God for Moses. Nothing wrong with being a shepherd. Nothing wrong with what Moses was doing. And this is how we play things off today. You know, I'm a good person. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. There is something wrong with what we're doing if it's not what God is doing in our lives. There's something wrong with us taking control of our own lives. We've been bought with a price, the Bible says. Our lives don't belong to us any longer. They've been purchased by Christ. So I can do good things, and I can do good things for people. I can be uh, in, in maybe a what appears to be a right place doing the right thing. But if you're in the right place doing the right thing, but it's not the God thing, then it's the wrong thing. And so God never forgot the moment when Moses' mother put him in that basket. He comes into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in Egypt. That was by design. And God placed him there for a season or this such a time as this. And Moses is out tending sheep. And it says... <clears throat> He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now let's pause here. We read this like it's so normal today. Isn't it precious? We teach our children in children's church the story of the burning bush. How God showed up in a bush. I don't know about you, but that would have freaked me out. And I would have thought I had eaten an herb I shouldn't have eaten. It's like, whoa, how am I going to explain this to my father-in-law? I mean, I was out the other day, and I, I promise, I, I just took a bite of some things. I thought it was good for me, but I started hallucinating. And I was out there in this bush, uh, like was burning, man, but uh, it wasn't being consumed. And I thought it was the coolest thing, and I'm like going, whoa. And so I approached it because, whoa, I mean, you know, this is like really cool. No, this has got to be freaking this guy out. I mean, why couldn't God just send like an angel in human form and he's got some sheep and they have, they have all this in common. He goes up and says, hey, Mo, let me tell you something I think. Mo is short for Moses. Just trying to kind of get in your grill here right now. And so he says, why, you know, why couldn't he have just done that? I mean, that, don't you think that's more normal? There are many things in the Bible I've never seen, but two of which stand out. Number one, I've never seen any man walk on water. And number two, I have never seen a bush burning that was not being consumed. And he comes and he addresses Moses. Why? Because Moses had fled out of fear his destiny. He had fled thinking, if I stay in Egypt, they're going to kill me. All the while, he's out doing something that God didn't tell him to do. Now, some of you are working on jobs that, that God's tried to get you out, and, and he's got better things for you. But you know what? You're kind of like the Hebrew children. Look, man, we may be working hard, making bricks and sweating, and every now and then getting beat, but we got a place to sleep, and we got three square meals. And you've, you've said, you know, I go to church, I serve in church, I even, I even tip God from time to time with just a little donation. 
and we start excusing ourselves as we're good people, we're doing good things. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't die for us to be good. He died and rose from the dead for greatness to be deposited in us and live through that greatness. The devil loves it when we're good people. I always, it always gets me when somebody says, they're such good people. I don't want you to be good people. I want you to be on fire, consumed by the power of God and the will of God. People that you're not satisfied until you know that every day you're getting up and doing the will of God. You say, well, pastor, what is in your Red Bull? I don't read the ingredients. It scares me. Uh, it's not that. See, I, I could do some good things. Before coming back here, one good thing was working five months a year, making $150,000, living in Europe, doing films. Sounds sexy, doesn't it? It sure did to me. Five months, all bills paid, living in Europe and making $150,000 a year. I got to tell you, when God told me to come back here, I had to talk to him about that. It would have been good because they were Christian films. It wasn't like stupid films. These were like really good films, high multi-million dollar films. And the producer said, I want you to be at my side. And I want you to orchestrate everything, be the assistant that I need. I want you to schedule everything. The movie that they were seeking, like Liam Neeson to be one of the lead roles. And there were several A-list actors. And I'm thinking, I get to be around them. I don't have to be a pastor. I don't have to hear, the sheep, you know. <laughs> I can just be a, a, a just a good secular employee and I don't have to put up with any bah, bah. why'd you come back you bad man you know <laughs> it all sounded good but that good was my wilderness you're good is your wilderness. It ain't the place of God. The place of God is not a wilderness. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's rising up to joy. It's going to bed with peace. It's rising up again with purpose and going to sleep with destiny. You can hardly sleep at night because you have an expectation that tomorrow is going to be better than today. I'm going from glory to glory. Great things lie ahead for me. I call it holy discontentment, righteous discontentment. I have to kind of stay here. They got blue tape down. I can't get outside them. I, I feel like a lion that's caged right now. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> blue tape. They told me don't get outside those because the, the camera can't pick it up for all you wonderful people home in your pajamas. <laughs> Thank you. And so the bush is burning but not being consumed. And basically the bush is calling on Moses saying, I never told you to leave Egypt. I know you're not doing anything wrong, but you're not doing my will. And inside my will is the fullness of joy and, and the goodness of God. Some of y'all need to think about what you're doing. I had to think about what I was doing and where I was going. I sure, I sure liked it. Because I didn't, I didn't have to look into a camera where people were watching all over the world and, and going, what's he think he's doing? After all that he did, he thinks he can stand up and preach? Come on. Yes. Yes, I do. I believe that with all of my heart. 
And you know what? If I didn't believe it, then I need to stop preaching because I believe the gifts and callings of God are without repentance on everybody's life. There won't be a preacher's line like going to heaven. I won't be like TSA, you know, I'm pre-checked to God. And looking at all y'all going, I'm pre-checked. Okay, because I'm a preacher. There ain't no pre-check. We all going to be standing in the same line, facing the same Jesus, and standing before the Almighty God. That's who we are. Yeah, but you're a preacher. Sometimes. And there are days I go home and wonder. <laughs> I say things you're not supposed to say all the time. And about, I lay down on Sunday night to go to sleep. And I go, did you really say that? And I go, yes, you did. They won't be there next week. <laughs> I face that fear every Sunday and Monday. And by Tuesday, I just really don't care. <laughs> That's how come my Wednesday inspiration is inspirational. Because <laughs> by Wednesday, I've already shaken it off and going, I'm just happy. God, if they don't show up, I'll go get that film job. God keeps growing, y'all. I guess he ain't going to let me go to Europe. Hello. It's all your fault, too. And you watching. Oh. Don't go to the kitchen right now. I see you. Stop. Get back over here near the computer and put some clothes on. Anyway, so you know right now somebody's going, oh, my God. <laughs> What's this new technology? <laughs> oh, I long for the day, grasshopper. All right, so. I love you. This is what heaven's going to be like, at least my section or my suburb. This is it right here. You know, they'll be, they'll be the serious burbs. Nobody will live there. Except the mean, rigid people who go, they had fun on earth and we didn't. <laughs> yes, we did. And we did it in church. Mm, had no idea you could have that much fun in church and still go to heaven. <sighs> and here we are. We'll be the one making noise. And they'll be, could you go to bed? No, we're staying up. <laughs> Every revolution was first thought in one's mind. It all begins right here. In your mind, thinking as you think in your heart, so are you. So, first point, a revolution is born out of a struggle. If you're in a struggle, guess what? You're in the greatest place you could ever be. That means you're, you're, you have a holy dissatisfaction that says, God, I know there's a land for me. I know there's something better than my Egypt. There is a, there is a promise from heaven that there's better for me. And you know what? If you're as happy and as content as you can be, go for it. But let me tell you, I believe... That contentment oftentimes is the fast track to missing God. I believe as Christians we need to live on the razor edge. Going, God, I just know that I am going from glory to glory. I know that you created something for me that's beyond my ability to imagine. According to Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do more than we can think or imagine according to the power that works in us. Not lies in us. Not dormant in us. You can, have a, you can have a Porsche that you never drive. It doesn't change the horsepower of that Porsche. It just means you don't get to experience the exhilaration of it because you never get in it and drive it. There are many of you that the power of God is resident in your life because you're born again and you have never accessed that power or done anything with it because of a lack of courage. 
You were told you'll never amount to anything. This is the best that our family will ever experience. Why make changes? Because I don't want to live a stagnant life. Don't want to live a life that says, you know, God, I made it. When I get to heaven, I want, I mean, I don't even, I want God to come and have to pluck me out while I'm doing something. And me say, just a minute, God, I'll be right there. He said, no, I'm plucking you out. You're too busy. Yeah, I got to get you up here. And he said, no, I don't want to be sitting here waiting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a Christian and we're suffering. But I'm looking to the eastern sky for another eclipse. You know how many people say that sitting at home? No, we got to rise up. Revolution is a struggle. In the early French Revolution, a group of schoolboys from 12 to 17 years of age formed themselves into a band, what they called a band of hope. They were being oppressed, and it says they were in a wore a uniform and were taught a taught drill. On their holidays, their flag was unfurled, displaying as shining letters uh, the sentence: "Tremble, tyrants! We shall grow up." In other words, they, they struggled. They saw the struggle and they said, we're not going to settle. We're not going to allow ourselves to be oppressed. Doesn't this take you back to Egypt where there are a group of Hebrew children that finally said, you know what? We're getting beat up and beat down and beat around. And there's a voice of God coming through the, the mouth of a servant named Moses going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go that they may come and worship me, says the Lord, day after day, time after time. And Moses is in there not only trying to get Pharaoh to let him go, but to sell the people of Israel on the fact that there was better than this, and you need to believe it. And you remember the story. He finally gets them out of Egypt, and as they're walking out of Egypt, and after years and years, they start murmuring and complaining because they were resistant people. Why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? If I'd have been Moses, I'd have said, I'll get you a ticket to go back. But Moses, he, he compelled them that there's better for you. There's a, there's a land flowing with milk and honey. And to me, that's a pastor's job. That's an evangelist's job. That's a leader's job to provoke you and to encourage you and to challenge you to believe that there's better and there's more. And it represents the glory of God when the people of God rise up and they have more joy, so much joy they can't contain it. So much peace and chaos that people wonder, how are you so calm in times of crisis? Because I've read the end of the book and my God's got it under control. And we're going to keep living the life that we're called to live and being the people that we're called to be. But somebody criticized me or it's hard or, you know, it's difficult and, and I'm just tired. I'm serious, man. It takes me about two days to recover from y'all. Because I'm looking out here right now. Some of y'all going like, mm-hmm. I'm just here to test it out. Just check it out. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Say something that just provoked me, Mark. Say something like profound. I see you see it in your eyes. Some of y'all say, mm, he didn't wax eloquent today. And you walk out here missing the whole point. This is like a power cord plugged into your soul, charging you to get ready for another week that you will represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in a way that people will want to drug test you. People always ask me what's in the Red Bull. It's not what's in the Red Bull that counts. It's what's in Mark Crow. The Red Bull just supplement. I'm already on fire. That fuel just... 
I just see red when I start drinking it. Like, I would snort, but I have allergies. There's no telling. Smoke won't come out, I guarantee you. Anyway, so without any charge of spurious enthusiasm, we may in imagination hear the shouts of confidence and courage uttered by the young Christians of the future as they say, Tremble, O enemy, O Satan, we are growing up for God. And you know what? This next generation will not grow up for God unless they see us living a life for God. Falling down, getting up, brushing ourselves off. Falling down, getting up, brushing ourselves off. We're trying to create pictures of perfection or mediocrity, one or the other. That I won't do anything. I, I can't be perfect. I can't be. No, you know what? There's more learned out of failure than there is success every day. Because failure teaches us what we did wrong. Success gives us a big head. But when your kids see you fall down and get up and you say, man, I will not quit. You're not a failure until you don't get up. Everybody fails. The only time you become a failure is when you refuse to get up. And then we teach a mediocrity. Say, well, you know, it's all good. No, it's not all good. We're not here for it all to be good. We're here for it to get better. To go from glory. That's what we're here for. And we have to show the next generation that. We've got to stop giving them ninth place trophies for showing up. Hello, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get cards and letters over that. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. We want them to know they're prized and valuable. Love them and tell them, look, you can do better. I'm proud of you. I love you to death. But that ninth place trophy says, I don't have to try. If I just show up, I'm going to get some iron up in here. No, man. I, I, I played ball on a losing team for years. But I, my love for ball said, I just love ball. And then finally I got recruited by another team. And I knew what it was to be a winner. And all those years of losing paid off. And now I was going to the city championship. Hello, Jesus. You got to learn how to fight when you're losing in order to win. You can't get a trophy. Jeez, oh, I know I'm going to get. I know some of y'all sitting there just thinking he has lost it. No, I haven't. I found it. No, this is the problem. Well, you know, we don't want to be too extreme for God. Like if we go to church every Sunday, our kids might expect it. Duh. And it might be good for them. And I ain't mad at you. I mean, we all take time off and all that. But you've heard me say it every time. Make time for God every day and make time for church every week. Thank you, four and a half people. Because one of you was only almost there. A revolution is created by contrast. Why do you think God had to tell them, I have a land of promise for you? God didn't say, look, I just want to extract you out of Egypt. That would have been enough for most people. But God said, no, no, no. I want to create a contrast that draws you to, to want to leave. So you're getting beat and, and you're oppressed and, and, and you, you have no liberties. And I've got a land flowing with milk and honey where there's total liberty over here. And if you'll follow me, I'll give you that. Contrast that with where you're at right now. Look, when somebody told me I didn't have to be depressed anymore and I didn't have to go to bed at night in fear of where I would go if I died in the middle of the night, that sounded like a pretty good contrast to me. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I got to tell you, it was the thought of me getting to go to heaven. You could say, well, I just wanted to get saved. Good for you. It's like people say, I don't give. I don't give so I can get money back or tax deduction. You're a gomer. 
give for all those reasons. He said, if you'll give, why do you think Jesus contrasted? Give, and it'll be given back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I'm going to pour it into your lap. He said, I know y'all need some contrast up in here. And then the government says, and if you do it, we'll give you a charitable write-off. I'm thinking, this is getting better every day. So don't get so self-righteous that you don't realize that the contrast helps you. The revolution means, you mean I might be free from the generational weaknesses of my family? We all have them. There's not a functional family in this place. And none of you are functional on that camera either. We're all dysfunctional people with a functional God. And until we let him be in charge, there ain't no function really going to happen. All, all functional families do is don't tell everybody else that they're dysfunctional. They look functional. It's all it is. We all, we all mess, you know. That's how can we have to have the cross. If there was one functional family, Jesus is in heaven looking at God going, Why did I have to die? Look at that family. They're really good. And I shouldn't have to die. If they can do it without me, I should not have died. They should get the reward of everything that we have built for everybody else on earth. It's because nobody's functional. We're just all a little piece of the portrait called a mosaic that God is putting together on earth to make this beautiful picture of creation. It's created by contrasts. Three, a revolution requires a commitment. Before you decide that you want to do this, you need to count the cost. And there is cost. Moses going over to that bush while it was burning and talking had to count the cost. And say, if I go to that bush, because the Bible says to him who knows the right thing to do and, to not, and not do it, to him it's sin. So the more information you have, you become accountable for that information. So Moses goes over there and going, uh, I guess I need to listen. He listens, and the bush starts telling him what he needs to do, and that's go back to Egypt and rescue the Hebrew children. God said, because I've heard the cries. You see, had I, on January 3rd of 2016, had I not heard the voice of God tell me to come back here, I would not be back here. But I was kind of like Moses. I was in church listening to God, and that will always get you having to do things <laughs> that you might not want to do. And when I say that, it's, it's, it's terrible because I would make fun and say it'll get you in trouble, but it really won't. It, it will create a struggle in you because your flesh wants to do one thing and the spirit wants to do something else. I don't know about you. My flesh always wants to do something different than what God wants to do. Just being honest. I'm kind of like Paul in Romans 7. Why is it I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I want to do? Who's going to help and deliver me? Hey, come on. Our flesh is strong, man. Our flesh is so strong. It is so, some of y'all didn't want to be here today. Some of you are still mad. I can see it in your face. But I'm going to preach you happy. If you'll just give me about 10 more minutes, I'm going to just preach you happy. You'll be going out of here going, that wasn't so bad. Matter of fact, that was really good. I really like that guy. I think he was, I, it's incredible. we got to go back. I wish, I wish Sunday was tomorrow. <laughs> Seven more days without this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need help. I'll call you Wednesday. Okay, now. We have to have a commitment. Isaiah put it this way. He said, I will not be disgraced. And the only way we'll be disgraced is outside the will of God. Because he promised to take away our shame in Isaiah chapter 61. And our dis disgrace. And he said, you'll inherit a double portion of prosperity and joy. God says, I will not allow you to be disgraced. 
if you will follow me. And he said, Moses, I mean, Isaiah goes on to say, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Why? Because he said there is not a plan B. This is the challenge we have in Christianity, is we create multiple plans. I have one plan. And that is to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, I may devise plans for the church, which I've done. We, Rick and I, who is he's on vacation right now, we spent time budgeting. We planned. But at the end of the day, we lay that budget before the Lord and say, this is our plan, but your kingdom come, your will be done at Mosaic, and we just are doing the best we can. I'm not suggesting you don't have a plan. You should plan. But at the end of the day, God's in charge of the plan. Because he may have some plans that are different and better and bigger and more wonderful. And a revolution basically says, I would rather risk death than to continue to live in the mess that I'm in. And that's what God, when he sends Moses back into Egypt, that's what he was saying. Now listen to this, and I'm pretty close to done. But this is something you need to think about because every one of us are making decisions today that will affect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and on and on and on. The decisions that you and I make today are not just about the rewards that we will experience, but about the rewards that they will experience because of a courage revolution that says, I will stand up. I will stand up for what I believe in. I will not be mean. I will not attack anybody else's faith or lack of faith. I will only stand for mine. And this is the problem in Christianity. We're always attacking what everybody else is doing because we disagree with it. That's not what Christianity is. Faith is different. We are not. It's not what we're standing against. It's what we're standing for and who we're standing for. And this is what we have to learn, is that we have to learn how to love in the face of crisis, hatred, and chaos, and meanness without becoming hateful and mean ourselves. In other words, we have to be willing to give our life if that's what it takes. I know that sounds funny, huh? Strange. Courage, revolution. I am not trying to get my way. I am trying to make a way for the God, the gospel, and the God to be preached for the rest of eternity. Until he comes back. Listen to this. Have you ever wondered what happened to those 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence? Freedom from Britain. Listen to what it says. Five signers were captured by the, by, by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Declaration of Independence. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary War. Another had two sons captured. Nine fought and died from wounds of hardships of the Revolutionary War. What kind of men were they? Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners. Men of means, well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. Would you have had the courage or would a fear have apprehended you? And you, you would have said, well, you know, I'm okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm well-educated. But they saw something. They were being oppressed and they said, this is not going to work for us. And we don't want our kids living under this oppression. We don't want our grandchildren living this way. Can you hear Moses' voice? saying, God saying, I have better for the Hebrew children. I didn't create them to make bricks. I created them to worship me and to be a part of my kingdom world. And some evil dictator has them locked up and beating them. Moses, go tell them I have better. 
Do you know how many people didn't hear it because they were calloused of heart and they had gotten into a routine and they were content and the beatings no longer hurt because their backs were all calloused and they said, we can handle this. And the problem in our world, especially with men, is we, rather than making change, pride ourselves in being men and we're tough and suck it up. I'd rather have freedom and you can call me whatever you want, but I don't want to get so callous and hard that I'm going to take a beating instead of taking time to change. They signed and they pledged their lives and their fortunes and their sacred honor. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw ships swept from the seas by the British Navy, his ships. He sold home and properties to pay his debts and died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in Congress without pay and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him and poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both looted the properties of Ellery, Clymer, Hall, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noticed that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters. The owner quietly urged General George Washington to open fire, which was done. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. Frank Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and grist mills were laid waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home after the war to find his wife dead. His children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates. Such were the stories and sacrifices of the American Revolution. There were not wild-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians. These were soft-spoken men of means and education. They had security, but they valued liberty more. Standing tall, straight, and unwavering, they pledged for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence. We mutually pledged to each other our lives, our fortune, and our sacred honor. They gave us an independent America. Can we keep it? We must keep it. We must stand for God, and we must rise up and worship Him, and we must love because love casts out this fear. It's hard to love when people are being mean, but that's all they were saying is we love liberty. Whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. All men, every race, every nation, every culture were born to be free. And freedom comes when we worship God and say, God, though it cost me everything as it did his son, I will die for the liberties of all mankind because love will do that. So when we come to church, the power of Almighty God and the energy of the Holy Spirit resides in us and stirs up in us and says, I will live my life committed to Christ. A revolution requires sacrifice. Courage, revolution. It takes courage to do anything great. If you look at anybody who has succeeded, if you look at anybody who is, is doing well or making a difference, it came with a price. Some men and women refused to give God the glory for helping them pay that price and giving them the wisdom and knowledge to succeed. They don't glorify God. I get that. But let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a self-made man. 
God made us. And whoever we become and whatever we become is only by the hand of God. And once we recognize that, and to me every Sunday, that's what it's about, saying, God, I just want to come to a house of worship. And in doing so, I want to acknowledge that every good and great thing that's ever happened in my life is a result of you. That's what church is about. Church is not about just getting smarter and wiser. It's about taking time out to say, God, I just want you to know I'm going to give you a part of my week. I'm going to give you a day of the week. I'm going to give you time every morning. God, I want you to know that I will never forget what you've done for me. And I never want to forget what you want to do through me. And if I'm on the backside of the wilderness, I pray that you bring a bush that's burning but not being consumed and that you can Continue to pull me to my place and that you don't ever let me leave. We don't live our lives and we will not stand before public opinion when we die and go to heaven somewhere. We will be standing before God himself and there will be no excuse for me to say, Well, God, I I didn't want to go back to Oklahoma City because there are critics who don't think I should. Look at me, critics. I don't listen to you. I listen to the Holy Spirit and you can criticize all you want. I'm not standing on this stage because I was ever good enough, because I've never been good enough, and I've never preached one sermon in my life where the sin was not involved. That'll bless you right there. (laughs) Nor has any preacher ever preached without sin in his life or her life. Never. And you can excuse yourself for whatever number of reasons you want to try to excuse yourself as I try to excuse myself. And what I found is there is no excuse when you're standing toe-to-toe with Jesus Christ. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Moses, you murderer, you get back in Egypt, the place of the murder, and you go back there and you talk to Pharaoh, the one who wanted to imprison you. And you tell him, let my people go, that they might worship me. You get yourself back into that place where you're a wanted man and your picture is on the post office wall. There is no excuse. When you say yes to Jesus, a candle lights others and consumes itself. We're called to be the light of the world. And as we're lighting up the world, there's a part of us that's being consumed because we have submitted ourselves to God and said we've been bought with a price. My life does not belong to me. It belongs to you. So send me where you want. Tell me what you want. And let me die if it's necessary. I don't really care. And that's what this thing's about. The next generation of millennials are watching us, and I'm so tired of millennials being uh, talked about as as subpar human beings, and I can't believe they don't want to work and all those things. Millennials are millennials because of us. So quit criticizing them and start changing so that they see something in you that drives them to be different and want to work and want to change. They're the fruit of us. The ones who gave them ninth place trophies and said you don't have to work. That's why they are the way they are. It's not their fault. If you're a millennial, you need to... I'm helping you right now. As you sit there drinking your $5 cup of Starbucks coffee on your Mac Air. This is what we're about. This is time for a courage revolution. Showing young people that what we believe in is of value. And it will take commitment. It will take sacrifice. It will take struggle. But if you give them the contrast they need. But on the other side of this, the Bible says God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not a rewarder of those who acknowledge him. But a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Man, let's stand up and show this city, Oklahoma City, we're going to have revival in this city. We're going to have the presence of God in this house. It will be burgeoning. It will be rising up. We will be God's people, God's army, God's generals. So let's quit criticizing the next generation and start loving them and hugging them and holding them. That's what we're about. And you know what? Let's just love each other. Let's love each other. That's what we've got to do. Instead of criticizing what everybody's doing around us, pray for them. Believe in them. People are doing what they believe. So let's not be the critics. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for a courage revolution that will spread all over this world, God. I thank you for those who stand for righteousness and those who have convictions. And God, I just believe that a difference is going to happen. I refuse to quit and give up because I know you do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and those of you watching online, pause one moment. Today is enlistment day. It's called the army of God. It doesn't mean that we fight to tear others down. It means we fight to build others up. We fight against the flesh so the spirit can excel. That's what we do. It's time to quit judging everybody else's behavior and start looking in the mirror and judging our own. The Bible doesn't tell me to examine everybody else. It tells me to examine me. And I know what's required of me. I'm required to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm required to forgive that I might be forgiven. His mercies are new every morning. I'm a carrier of those mercies and I need to show those mercies to others. But it all begins with surrender. And if you're without Christ in your life today and you say, please pray for me, I want to be a Christian. It's not about all that you can do and all that you've done. It's about what Christ did and accepting that work on the cross. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, today I want to enlist. I want to be a follower. I want to make a difference. I don't want to live a good life. I want to live a great life. And that begins with being a believer. If that's you, I want to ask you just to lift your hand up right now. If you say, please pray for me, I'm not. Lift your hand up and say, pray for me. Come on, lift it up and put it down. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Quite a few of you, thank you, okay. Those of you watching online, yes, ma'am, thank you. Watching online, you lift your hand right there where you're at in your hotel room, in the airport, in your home, in your apartment, wherever you are. God wants to see that hand because he wants to see your heart. And I want to pray a prayer with all of you who lifted your hands right now. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior, and I can't save myself. So today I repent of my sin and I confess with my mouth you are the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart. God raised you from the dead, Jesus. Now I believe you'll raise me. Thank you, Lord. Amen.